Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Kristen. We'd like to welcome you to the writer's story. And it's September and we're getting a little bit of cool weather here. A few leaves yeah, changing. Yeah, with a little rain yesterday, <laughs> which made it feel even more sort of studious weather. This is school starting. This is yep. get back in your writing projects with clean intentions kind of weather. <laughs> Or go buy, or go at least go buy a notebook. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. been um, it's been a long time since we've had you in Virginia, so welcome back. Um, Thank you. And, it's good to be back. Yeah, and and we're really lucky today because we actually have um, a friend here today with her first novel, I believe. Um, which is going to be really fun to talk to uh, about, you know, like what you know all the her journey you know to this to this moment and um and i know she's gone a different some different routes with different projects in this one um she's published with a small press and so i think it would be interesting to just talk really briefly about what what we know about publishing um there's a lot of options for writers nowadays i mean it used to be used to be you know it was just try to get an agent and get a a large publisher interested in you and then there were some small presses but there's been really a flourishing of small presses and now of course they're self-publishing yes and the betwixt and between even those hybrid options where people can uh sign on with a press that operates similar to a traditional independent press, but that engages the writer in ways that are more in tracking with self-publishing. So well, those hybrid options exist as well. Right. They ask yeah. for an investment from the writer, and then I guess the writer gets more of a cut. So, yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of different options. And it's interesting to sort of see, like, some projects might lend themselves better to one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it depends on what you want as a writer too. um, what your goals are with whatever project you might have. I'm reminded of some people I've met at writing conferences over the years who are um, passionate about a project that they know is really just for their extended family's interest, certain memoirs, Mm -hmm. for example. And Mm -hmm. so those lend themselves to a self-publishing platform, something really, or hybrid maybe. But uh, yeah, so I I share your curiosity as to Betty Joyce's journey. Yep. She certainly has, um, this is not her first writing. That's, she's a very accomplished writer, um, her first novel and um, going in this direction. Yes. Is, um, it's going to be fun to hear what she has to say about that experience. Yeah, yeah. I think another um, thing that people... Um, who sometimes go, I have talked to writers and they've said, oh, I'm just so tired of waiting, you know, and it's been about like three minutes since they um, (laughs) actually sent stuff off to an agent. I I think I'm going to self-publish because I'm just too impatient. And then they are very shocked when they realize that a lot of bookstores won't carry their books because of the return policy. 
Um, so if your goal is to be in libraries or bookstores, you have to be very careful about what path you choose. Yeah, and uh, a number of um, book reviewers don't uh, entertain reviewing books that have been self-published. One of the organizations I was in did change their policy, but originally you could not, you were not eligible for awards if you were self-published either. So, so there's all sorts of things that can come into it. So it's worth, as you said, thinking about what your goals are. And as you know, we talked to Kathy, um, just the other yeah just the other uh month and and she was talking about what her goals were and her goals seemed to really align with self-publishing with the book because she wanted to be have it out there um and you know move on you know have yeah have it have it published (laughs) say like okay i took this project all the way to the end maybe it'll find an audience maybe people who love mysteries will will find my book and read it and you know, and so it fit really well with what her goals were. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, that made a lot of sense. Yes, for her, it made a lot of sense in that instance. But, um, so Betty Joyce Nash, uh, is a Charlottesville writer, and I am lucky enough to be in a writing group with her. So, I actually have read, um, her new novel, uh, in you know, different stages, which is is really fun when you can see a book develop in that way over time. And, um, and but this is definitely not her first rodeo. So her, her, new, her novel is called Everybody Here is Kin, but her short stories have appeared in, in essays or appeared all these places in NPR and Christian Science Monitor and all this stuff. And she's um, has a an MS in journalism from Northwestern and an MFA in fiction from Queens University of Charlotte, um, and a ton, a ton of um, fellowships and you know at Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, etc. And she teaches writing, and just is a really wonderful person that we know in the community. Wonderful writer. Yeah, and some really um, impressive awards that she has won. Um, again, recognizing that she has um, been developing her craft for a good while. She won a Fitzgerald Prize in 2015. And um, gosh, I want to ask her about the McDowell Fellowship. That was yeah. a little while ago but um so exciting to yeah. have yeah, uh, been able to do that so um let's go call her up hey betty joyce hi meredith it's great to see you thanks for joining us well here we are on zoom i know our listeners don't get to see you but i am happy to yes thank you for inviting me this is exciting well, we're so excited for you and we're excited to, to mark this um, this moment for you. And actually, the book has been out September 1st, was it? You know, I'm not sure. There have been so many different pub dates floating around. I have on my calendar tomorrow. And so I'm not really sure. It has been available. It is available now. So I'm not sure what the official date ended up being. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> between September 1st and tomorrow. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's and out you, there. It, it, and it you're jumped right into the thick of um, talks and presentations, book launch, local. Sorry, I will yep. be overseas at the time. But yeah. Yeah. Very so fun. for listeners tuning in, that is New Dominion here right on the 30th mm-hmm. at 7 p.m. So that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. And then then I'm headed in just a few days. I'm headed down to South Carolina, which is not actually the setting of the book, but it's part of the inspiration because I did spend a lot of time on the coast of South Carolina uh, growing up and also uh, as a young uh 20 something i lived on a barrier island for uh four years wow cool well that is a great segue to a question we love asking each person who comes around and that is how you became a writer how did you know you were a writer tell us a little about that journey well i was an english major and uh So I did take a creative writing class in college in the Stone Age when I went to uh, Mary Washington because UVA was not uh, taking women at that time. And I had, you know, unfortunately the prevailing wisdom in that era was that writing really couldn't be taught. And so I really didn't learn anything about the craft in that class. And that may have just been my professor or, but it felt like that was what people really thought. And so I thought it too. I thought, well, I guess I just really don't have any talent because I didn't do that much with it. And I ended up becoming a ceramic artist. I Mm -hmm. uh, somehow fell just taking hobby classes, really. Uh, When I lived in South Carolina, I uh, became really interested in clay. And I started studying at Penland School in North Carolina, which is a pretty well-known everywhere, really, probably worldwide, but certainly in the United States, craft school. And I went uh, for a really intense three-week session, and then I went back the following year for an intense eight-week session. And by then, I could really throw, because I had been working on my own on my own wheel. And then I moved um, to the Midwest, and I continued that work. And I did that for about 10 years, and I actually earned a living early on. It was meager, and it was never great gangbusters but it was enough to pay my rent and buy food and so forth and so it was a good it was a really good life it was a really good life and Mm -hmm. after a while after maybe 10 those 10 years and even more if I count the training years I began to wonder a if I could do it physically because it's quite a lot of physical labor to muscle around a lot of clay all day every day and I started wondering if that would carry me through my whole professional life. And so um, at the time I was in Chicago and I knew that, and I had always liked writing. And uh, so I applied to their Northwestern's journalism school and I got a master's in journalism from Northwestern in 1988. And then I took my first reporting job and I found I really liked being a journalist. I liked being a reporter, going to things, finding stories, covering them and writing on deadline. I really liked all of that. So I did that for a good while. And then at some point I started getting into fiction. It's funny because I was just writing about this for this talk that I'm going to give down in South Carolina. I uh, began to see that uh, telling stories, telling the truth, quote unquote, 
was not quite that fiction really sometimes did a better job of telling the emotional truths in a story and the deeper truths in a story. And I started to get really interested in that and just started taking, again, I'm a big fan of community writing classes. I teach them at Writer House and I'm a big fan of them because I mean, that's how I got started in fiction writing. And, uh, you know, it, uh, cause journalism is great. I love to read what's going on, but uh, for example, with Demon Copperhead, I'm sure you've both read that. And I really feel like out of all the things I read about the opioid epidemic, because I was so firmly rooted in Demon's skin, because the author Barbara Kingsolver immersed me in his world, I was rooting for him so heavily. I was so invested that it just hit me much harder and more deeply than all of the articles I had read which were very well reported and included plenty of anecdotes about the people who suffered. But really at the end of it, it's just, you know, it's, it, it was, to me, it's a really good example of what fiction does that, that uh, journalism and nonfiction can't quite do. Hmm, that's so interesting. So this, this new book, how long were you working on it? You know, that's hard to say because I started writing short stories and uh, it be, it grew out of a short story that I wrote probably when I, at some point I did get an MFA and it probably grew out of my, because it's in my collection. At that time it was called uh, All Corners of This Floating World and it would, took place on an island and the three children were there and the uh, veteran was there and other than that, I can't really remember the plot. And at some point uh, over the years, I decided to try to make it into a novel. And I say try because writing a novel is really hard. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I know some people sit down and outline or write start to finish. And I, I just can't, couldn't do that. So it was, yeah, it was a while before I could really do it. Well, there, I think there are sort of two, you know, I'm, I'm often a beginning to end writer, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I, um, my first draft is something really to, to show anybody. Um, I think a lot of it is sort of how you find your story and some people find their story um, sort of by starting in the middle and expanding out or starting with scenes and, and then thinking of ways to connect them. And other people think about um, the arc of the book and then try to write this arc and then find out that that's not the arc they wanted. You know, there's a lot of sort of stops mm-hmm. and starts, which makes it just really challenging, you mm-hmm. know? I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. And also, it is uh, your characters aren't, you're not always in control of your characters. You know, they do sometimes do things that, you know, surprise you. Yeah. yeah, I think if you're in the zone, they 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 can pleasantly surprise you. Although I I have heard from at least one thriller writer who says if his characters do something he doesn't want, he kills them. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Just take that, you know. He will mm-hmm. obey. But I yeah, I think that there I like is, that. yeah. But I think there is this kind of feeling where you feel like something's talking through you, and it is a really. Um, sort of mystical feeling where you you don't necessarily feel like you're in control of it or maybe you're connecting to sort of the giant 
story that's all of our consciousness I mean there's all kinds of theories about it but I I love that feeling me too yeah and I love just the the moments when I don't know what's going to happen next and I'm but but I know I'm heading into that Mm -hmm. um, which Mm -hmm. is yeah an exciting experience in writing not a daily one but but yeah it's frequent enough to keep keep me coming back (laughs) yeah well tell us sort of the 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 little the short elevator pitch of your book because we didn't really get in into that just we've got kids on a beach and a veteran (laughs) right right well I like uh and I've written other stories where there are unexpected slash chance meetings between unlikely people who would be unlikely to strike up a friendship. Uh, And so this is essentially this veteran who is damaged uh, from the Iraq war, his experience in the Iraq war, and just kind of hiding out. He has a job managing a motel for his friend. And uh, he just gets paid in lodging. And he's pretty much just hiding out. And then these kids appear and of course since he's army he can't just ignore them he has to and they're staying at the motel and so he feels like he's supposed to look after him which pisses him off and uh yeah he he doesn't he doesn't like it but of course they kind of insinuate themselves into his life because kids do that they're curious and so that kind of starts things things off and you've got uh, an environmental angle to this right can you tell a little bit about how the place itself and kind of concern for place or love for place has worked into the story right the story uh, has a number of uh, I like to think of them as currents you know uh, uh, underneath going on and, and one of them is is essentially climate change and because the it's written from two perspectives a 13 year old girl and that part is her her chapters are written in first person and will the veteran his chapters are written in third person and um i found that gave me some distance from will and uh distance that he needed because he's so skittish he was so skittish Mm -hmm. about my coming into his life that he had to be a third person but uh but the girl is uh essentially i think uh displacing a lot of her fears and uh anger really at her mother because her mother is somewhat damaged also because her father was killed also in the war and uh so her mother has been grieving for essentially years and uh, her mother works really hard. You know, a lot there. A lot of single mothers really are kind of overworked. She has three three kids, and um, she works as a nurse, and uh, sometimes even overnight shifts. And Lucille does all the babysitting that she can do, but she uh, is terrified. She's never seen the ocean. They're from Detroit. They come down here to do two things. One is to continue the journey later down to Key West or down to the Keys where uh, Lucille can see the Florida reef 
before it the oceans get too hot which in fact i just read a statistic about that this week that it has reached a record you know heat down there at the florida reef endangering it and then also to because her mother and father met there at this beach and got married there they are going to finally after flow these many years actually scatter his ashes mm -hmm. and uh so that's how they wound up there but the mother meets an old friend because she used to live there and uh she decides just to go off for a couple of days with this man which uh is doesn't surprise lucille but of course it pisses her off <laughs> so she's left holding you know babysitting as usual but she has really educated herself about global warming but but she's terrified of the ocean. I mean, she gets there and she's like, oh my God, it's eating everything, which of course it does, especially, you know, as the tide comes in and, uh, and she knows everything. I mean, she's really, you know, and constantly spewing facts about, you know, uh, the rising seas and how many, uh, trillions of, uh, you know, what, what, oh, what is it? There's some statistic in there about how many, micro something of uh of vegetation dead vegetation and dead animals make up like one gallon of gasoline you know one gallon of fossil fuel you have to have trillions of <laughs> nutrients packed in there to make that so she is quite uh yeah, outspoken well i think you've really done a nice job capturing sort of what it is to be 13 and smart you know that she's kind of she sort of has no hips, but she's got boobs, and like that's kind of trouble. Yeah, right, <laughs> and she's right, kind right. of like, what is this body that I'm suddenly getting, and what does this mean? But then she seems to be so, yeah, worried about these bigger issues. But of course, the the number one issue is that her mother keeps leaving, and she keeps having to take care of these kids, and so it's a very interesting mix of like child and grown up, and. Um, you know, smart and naive. And... Yeah. And I think a lot of kids today are like that. You know, yeah. they know a lot. You know, a 13-year-old is a strange mix of adult and child, and mm -hmm. they know so much. Mm -hmm. And the world is, you know, just out there for them to experience. And she's frightened and excited by it. But her mother is unpredictable. And that, of course, you know, is about the worst circumstance a kid can mm -hmm. have, you know, to have an unpredictable Oh, yeah, that they rely on. No, it's true. I think, um, you know, kids have access to way more information than they even, they've ever had. You know, if you think about when we did papers and you had to, like, consult an encyclopedia, you know, <laughs> now it's sort of like they can get on and, and become an expert, you know, in, in something that really obsesses them very quickly or get very bad information. I mean, the Internet's just full of both things. Um, yeah, I have a 14-year-old nephew who, you know, I think is either going to be a rocket scientist or a college professor or something. <laughs> He's, very He's really nice. a brainiac. Brainiac. He started reading when he was three and, you know, just, wow. yeah, you know, just wow. that's, books wow. are his thing. And, you know, and I think it's sort of interesting because, you know, it, is he out of step with the way everyone else is moving? Are they moving away from books? But he loves books. But, you know, and then I think, you know, you can find your people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 
and finding, I mean, what is, what is the internet except like coverless books in a way? Yeah, <laughs> so, that's right. That's right. You know, the, the access again to the information is so extraordinary. Was Lucille always a significant character in your story or did you, you have these, sounds like a number of intriguing characters um, or was, was she just obviously going to be um, the main character, a big player from the get-go? Yes, she was. Uh, it, she and Will, it was, it was her and Will from the start. And somehow I wanted them to get together. And, uh, and they did. And the, uh, the other children, I uh, just are there to, they each have their distinctive personalities. And that was something I had to really work on. You know, when you having three kids was kind of a lot, you know, a scene gets crowded really fast. But, uh, but I, but I hope I was able to give them their own, you know, their own personalities. And I grew up in a family of three and it's such an unstable number. <laughs> and it's really, it's really a nice, uh, it's really a nice mix, you know, because, uh, and I was the thumb sucker in my family. I was like the middle Maisie. I was like, so I was, she's kind of like me and my big sister would boss me around. So, so I made, Lucille really, it's funny because my brother and sister are going to be at this, um, which I can't believe they're traveling all this way to come to this event in South Carolina. But I mean, they're going to immediately recognize <laughs> Distinct personalities, like you said. Yeah, yeah. We are right. Three is an unstable number. There's always yeah. probably alliances and somebody's left out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they tell you that in like when you're writing, first writing stories is it's good to have three characters. I kind of overdid it with, you know, having, you know. Six. Well, seven. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, not everyone's a major character. They're right. there for right. Right. a purpose. Right. But I do, right. I, I have frequently told people when I'm working with writers that, you know, maybe they could sh make combine a few characters to make it sort yeah. of less because yeah. uh, it is hard you do feel like oh my god um lucille lost her younger brother on page 10 we've never seen him since isn't anybody right. anyone called the right. police you know so you have no. to realize you have to sort like of, whoa where is he going? yeah you have to have him show up and do things and be occupied and you know that kind of stuff because All right. <laughs> you don't right. want anyone to start right. worrying that you know, maybe he's drowned or something. Yeah, right, right, right. And he probably does have the uh, least active role in the in the story. But uh, yeah, it's it's a lot to juggle. It really is. So, how has it been for you working with this publisher? Has it been a a good a good experience for you? Have you had have they done um, editing? For you. you know, small publishers, uh, I don't, I can only speak to my experience with this publisher. And um, I really, it, it, they really didn't seem to edit the book at all. Luckily, it was in pretty good shape when I turned it in. And so maybe that's why. And then the other thing that is the only downside of a small publisher is that, that they tend not to do much uh, promotion. And of course, I haven't uh, had the experience of being published by like a big five publisher. So I don't really know if, uh, you know, uh, 
what kind of promotions they do, but um, mostly, you know, I, uh, you know, publicity is is up to is up to me. Yeah. Well, I think I think there's a kind of a, a an assumption that one of the big publishers will actually do a lot for you, um, and I think it just really does depend on budgets and how much of an advance they paid you and how many mm-hmm. other titles they have and whether or not your editors you're really in your corner and didn't just quit to go have a baby and you got inherited by someone else I mean there's just so many factors that go yeah. into it yeah um, yeah so where yeah. you are in the pecking order yes yeah and turnover of personnel is no small thing mm-hmm. um from editors and publicists, there's so Mm -hmm. many people involved in that getting a book out part Mm -hmm. (laughs) that um, if one or another drops the ball in some way, it can be a complicated matter. Right. So I think, you know, it does come back again to authors being on top of things and trying Mm -hmm. to keep it rolling and, um, it's been my experience for good or bad. I mean, some sometimes I just haven't been able to give it that. And that's frustrating um, with a, a traditional bigger press, whatever. Um, yep. Yeah. So and the same goes for editing, I think. I think, you know, it, again, it's the individuals who are in the room. If you have, mm-hmm. you might have a just a really top-notch editor at a tiny, tiny press or even uh, in a hybrid press situation and mm-hmm. and an editor who is, you know, snooze over in a different, bigger setting. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, that's probably true. Uh, one thing that is nice about the small press is, uh, it, you know, if I have a problem, I just, I just email the, essentially, the head of the operation and wow. she yeah. takes care of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, I mean, right away, she answers me back. Uh, well, it doesn't say seem, they're it, really responsive. It doesn't seem like they have that many titles. So that means they could really focus on you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm surprised when I look at, I mean, it feels, it looks like they have, you know, quite a number. I mean, I have, uh, I mean, the, the reason I ended up with that press is because I had, I had uh, been querying agents and I hadn't really gotten much traction and i uh i just happened to notice uh madville's um i saw something about somebody who was being published by madville and it was a name i knew it was a name i had known from years ago when i lived in greensboro a professor at the creative writing program down there and she was publishing her book with madville so i bought it and i read it and i liked it I said, well, she's publishing with them. It must be. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, you you know, you want the work to be quality work and mm-hmm. um, the, the, the books they publish. And it was certainly. And um, and the publisher is very responsive. And yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Well, we're ex- yeah. we're excited no, it is. It to, is. to actually. And, the, and there are more and more indie presses out there, you know, all the time. I mean, every time I turn around, you know, I. I see different names and and so I mean I encourage you know some of my friends who are discouraged by the publishing market to you know to try these some of these different presses because some of them do a really good job yeah well you're right to also say sort of sampling what they do publish and seeing if it feels like oh, it yeah. fits 
your style and that it would be a good place to go. I think sometimes people just bang their heads on too many walls that aren't really the right place for them. Mm-hmm. And then, then they get incredibly discouraged, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and then that's a hard thing. So just doing that research and sort of saying, well, this really, I know the, this writer that publishes there. I mean, even just contacting them and saying, what's your experience? You know, that's yeah. good. And that's what yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. a, that's a great thing to do because then if they yeah. say, you know, they're about to go bankrupt, avoid them at all costs. You don't, you don't have to waste your time, your heart and your, <laughs> your right, energy. Right, but if they right. say, Oh yeah, it was, it was, it was a good experience. And here's what you get. Here's the reality of what it will be like. Then at least you're, you're walking in, um, knowing, you know, that's so true because, uh, like I know a couple of people maybe that I went to grad school with or other people and, you know, like this one person I know just writes this really wacky stuff. And, um, and, you know, he's got this publisher who, you know, who publishes other wacky stuff, really different kinds of things. And so, it, I mean, it's kind of nice to know that, you know, that experimentation and mm-hmm. all that, that you're not, you don't have to be bound to a formula of writing a certain way because there are publishers out there who are interested in, you know, innovative work and, you know, different styles. Yeah, that's great advice. That is definitely great advice. So what is next for you after this book? Um, are you doing something with your flash fiction? Yeah, I'm still working on that, still revising that. And um, I'll, that is kind of a different market. So I'll be looking for a different type of publisher for that. And by the way, it's a semi-autobiographical flash fiction right. in chapters. How long is it? It is about a hundred pages, okay. something like that. So, catch me up, Betty Joyce. Are these so? I think of flash fiction as really tiny units of fiction, right? Are up they to a th- usually up to a thousand words. As, okay, you know, yeah. And they're linked so are together. These linked? It's, it's one story, yes. but just different flashes of this. Right. Right. Oh, I like that. Yes. Yeah. So all together, hopefully they paint sort of a collage of a life, you know, my life in clay, essentially, and uh, and div- going through divorce and rebuilding myself. I hope, what is the title? Well, you know, I'm having trouble with the title because for a long time it had a very uh, literal title, and I'm no longer a big fan of that title and so I'm really casting about or um what about my life in clay it just is too like literal but oh is that the title that you are describing no uh -uh, no no it's it's not but um but yeah you know I could think about that because I could play with the word clay Mm -hmm. you know and use it in a different way you know so I I might have to think about those words and jumble them up and pick some out of a hat or something I'm the worst but, uh, titler ever. Are you? <laughs> I never could do. I mean, we when I was in TV, they would be like, "We need a sh- name for the show," and and I'd be like, mm, "I got nothing." <laughs> and and with my own books, I feel like I I I do just the worst title ever, just because you need a title, you need to save your yeah. document and something. And I'm like, "Oh, right, I'll fix it right. later." Right. And um, I think right. actually my last book 
Betty Joyce, you're the one that picked you're, you're the one that figured out the title for it after you read it. So, oh, identity theft? Yeah, I just rely on the, the kindness <laughs> and the creativity of others to come up with titles because I just Great feel like title. I suck yeah, but it. yeah, that's kind of an on the nose title too. So you might be able to think of something better, you know. Well, you know, I just felt like my first book they hated my title and they and I had like sort of twenty four hours to come up with another title and a good friend just was like, Here's twenty titles. Oh wow! And she's like, <laughs> and she's like, and just pick three of them, and then tell them the one that you like. You know what I mean? Like she just was like yeah. telling me the whole strategy. It was really helpful. So I just proposed. yeah, that sounds like a great strategy. Yeah, and so I was like, pose for murder, and they're like, great, and then we just moved on, and <laughs> you know, and then you're talking about sort of the process. I had the same editor for both my books. My first book, we went through three rounds of really rigorous edits, and I realized she didn't like this whole story. Um, so uh-huh. you know she took out this one thing and all this stuff and I had to finally take it out because she just really hated it and then my second book she barely did anything really and I was like am I a better writer or is she exhausted (laughs) I don't know maybe it was like yes to both I also had had an agent at that point and my agent gave me comments before I even sent it to the editor yeah that's another good thing about having an agent Yeah. yeah yeah so that was a kind of an interesting process to go through really different even though it was like they were two years apart and the sort of the same team it just was a really different process yeah that is interesting yeah so but it's great you've got the writing group because you are getting other eyes on your work as well right, right, um, right. before it goes into this next stage and with the professional editors at the press and right, that right yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a one. It's it's wonderful to have a group that you really trust and you get to know each other. Um, right, right. You know, there are some people who you have a project and it keeps coming back every year, but being different. And then when it finally finds a a new life, you know, uh, goes on to its next chapter. It's super exciting yeah. to see that. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is. It's all. It's always useful, even if even if you don't end up taking people's advice, you end up looking at your work differently with a whole different set of eyes once everybody's had their say and you're like, okay, well, it's not really this, it's this. (laughs) Well, you actually learn, I mean, I think one of the best things to do is not hear what they suggest, but hear what's Mm -hmm. stopping them Mm -hmm. and then ask yourself, oh, is there something I could do that wouldn't stop them or make them think this thing that's not true? Oh, yeah. As opposed to they're saying, oh, you should fix it like this, you know. Right. And trying to just fix it like that because that doesn't, it doesn't usually work. (laughs) No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just really like, you know, thinking about what, what you need to um, clarify often, you know. Yeah. Everybody needs an editor for everything. I mean, I don't like to let anything go to anybody without having somebody for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, are you doing the same with presentations? Uh, you know, you I, I need to with this. I'm writing a whole spiel about I'm supposed to talk for 50 minutes, five zero minutes, which is a lot. So I'm, I'm sort of telling the story about uh, uh, writing and then interspersing the readings, very short excerpts on um, because I write a lot of scenes. In fact, maybe I write too many scenes. Maybe my scene to narration ratio 
is off. But sometimes when you're reading scenes aloud to an audience, it's really hard to keep up with what's going on, what the action is. Yeah. So I'm just going to read like two or three paragraphs. Like I'm going to talk about something and then I'm going to read two or three paragraphs and then talk about something else and read two or three paragraphs. I I hope that works. Yeah, I recently had a 50-minute speech that was on something else and I could only get my notes and my slides and everything to last 30 minutes. And then I just had a wonderful discussion afterwards. So, Mm -hmm. and I don't think anyone can really listen that long. So I would say, give yourself a break and just plan for 35 minutes and then, and then expect that there's going to be some folks who are going to have questions. Well, I'm hoping that they'll be so relieved that it it didn't go for an hour that they'll. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Although the, the organizers did tell me that often there aren't any questions. So I just want to be prepared in case there aren't, but I really prefer questions. Do you have family or friends there? Yeah. And I, I can make them. So yeah. like at least tell, at least give them some questions maybe like plant plant some people, right right right. It, yeah. If they do, it'll break the ice too. I bet other people would ask questions if they I, hear someone else get started. Yeah, I think they will yeah. too. I'll do that. That's a good, a great idea. Yeah, but don't try to make yourself go for fifty minutes. I think even if it just breaks off at forty and everyone goes buys a book and has a glass of wine, they'll be like, oh, that was great. Uh, yeah because <laughs> right. they didn't have to sit still so long they got to stand up and <laughs> move around and talk to someone well this has been right. really lovely betty joyce we're so excited and i can't wait to see you at dude opinion and hear you read from it and i get my own copy i just got to read a pdf which is just not the same well you know i could have sent you a copy no and, i want to uh, buy my yeah. own I am very excited to hold the book in my hands. Everybody here is kin. I like, I like that title a lot. Yeah, I actually that came about at the last minute. I just didn't like the title I was using corners of this floating world. For one thing, it's so common. It's from this, you know, haiku by Basho, the great Buddhist poet. And really, if you Google it, you'll see uh, dozens and dozens of things with that title. And I thought I cannot have this title. And somehow that phrase popped into my head because it's mentioned several times in the book by some of the characters who are natives of this uh, island. Mm. And they'll say, oh, well, everybody here is related to everybody else. Don't worry about it. And oh, the second cousin once removed or 50 times removed. I don't know. And so um, so I, I ended up liking it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, wonderful. And uh, thank you so much for t- joining us. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. This was great. See you on the 30th, if not before. See you then. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, that was lovely to catch up with Betty Joyce and hear about, I don't know, just all the the book journey and the writer journey. Yeah, yeah. Her um, flash fiction really gets into the clay and it's such it's such powerful work she is such a beautiful writer and um so yeah i'm eager to read the novel and i'm very intrigued by the flash fiction yeah yeah it's been fun i've learned a lot and it was so funny because uh deb prom who we've also had on the the podcast 
said, I was inspired to do flash fiction from Betty Joyce, but it came out to 3,000 words. (laughs) 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 So, Uh, well, yeah. We all inspire each other, but we all are different kinds of writers, and (laughs) some of us can write short, and some of us cannot. Well, it's always good to talk with you too, Meredith, and I am looking forward to the next time. Absolutely, and we will uh, meet up again in October. Sounds good. Yes. See you then.